four. And we are finishing tonight our study of this marvelous book that was written uh, in order to apply the riches of Jesus Christ to the Philippian believers living in the first century, and also to us by the Holy Spirit who ministers His truth to uh, His whole church. This is, as we have seen, a practical letter that exhorts us to walk as heavenly citizens with a mind of Christ, both within the church and out in the world, all the while rejoicing in the Lord and glorying in Jesus Christ and eagerly waiting for Him as we seek to live as heavenly citizens. We finally come to the very last section of this letter that begins in verse 14 of chapter 4, and we will read to the end of the letter down to verse 23 this evening. The Apostle Paul concludes his letter by expressing his thankfulness for the gift that the Philippian believers had sent him. Remember, Paul is in prison, and the Philippians showed their care and concern for the Apostle in this display of true gospel spiritual fellowship. And the concluding section gives expression to Paul's thankfulness for that display of spiritual uh, um, fellowship. So let's hear God's word, Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, but I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 10 uh, because our passage really picks back up the train of thought that was introduced in verse 10. And then as you notice, verses 11 through 13, uh, someone introduced this theme of the secret of our contentment in Jesus Christ. And then verse 14 picks back up that theme Paul mentions back in chapter, uh, verse 10. Let's uh, hear God's word. I'll read verse 10. Then jump down to our passage this evening, beginning in verse 14. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And then verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share or have fellowship in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership or fellowship with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's uh, this reading God's holy word. Let's once again look to our God and seek his blessing for our coming to his word tonight together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your truth, which sanctifies us as your people, which strengthens our hearts by your grace, and which rejoices of our soul in the knowledge of you as our God and Savior. 
And we pray that we would be tonight led to a greater enjoyment of our salvation, greater assurance of our faith in the Lord Jesus, and greater assurance of your love towards us. We pray that you bless this reading and preaching and produce that which is pleasing in your sight in our midst. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage at the conclusion of the Philippians uh, really is full of grace, the grace of God that is at work both in Paul and in the lives of Philippians through the Gospel. The grace of God which is to be magnified at every juncture underlies all that Paul writes here. We know the background to Paul's writing in this section that the Philippians, through Epaphroditus, had sent gifts to Paul in order to minister to his needs. And although Paul said uh, he was not in need, and yet at the same time, he rejoices in uh, this gift. Although Paul says here he received a full payment, he's well supplied, he has no need, and yet he rejoices in God and gives thanks to God in what he sees displayed in the gifts. There is indeed a true gospel fellowship expressed here in terms, as Paul says, both giving and receiving. And I want to consider with you a little bit of the nature of the true gospel fellowship. It's the first thing I want you to look at with me today, the nature of true gospel fellowship for which Paul gives thanks. And then secondly, I want you to see the grace of God at work in the uh, gospel expressions of living uh, in, that, that you see in verses 19 and 20, uh, where Paul makes this affirmation. The grace of God at work in the gospel living and confession of faith, as that we see in verses 19 and 20. And I want to finish by seeing the grace of God at work in the gospel perspective Paul provides in the greeting section and the benediction. So really three sections I want to look with you tonight in the grace of God at work in the nature of true, uh, true Christian and spiritual fellowship, the grace of God at work in the living and confession of faith Paul provides in verses 19 and 20, the grace of God at work in the gospel perspective as we see in the greetings and the benediction Paul ends the earth with. But first of all, Paul explains the nature of fellowship here expressed in the matter of giving, that the gifts that the Philippians had sent to him was an expression of spiritual fellowship. And that's what we read in verse 14 and again in verse 15, where he uses that word in Greek, koinonia, that the Philippians had entered into his trouble or had fellowship in his own trouble, and then the Philippians also entered into fellowship with Paul in his gospel labor, both in giving and receiving. Paul said that it was very kind of you to share, to have fellowship in my trouble. All the pressures and afflictions that confronted me as an apostle that the Philippian church tangibly entered into fellowship with Paul. That as one commentator memorably, memorably puts it, Paul is expressing his gratitude to them because their fellowship with Paul was both long-standing and outstanding. Paul says in verse 15, you did this in the beginning of the gospel and you continued with me, you sent gifts to me in my needs, that was an expression of fellowship. And you did this in the beginning, in verse 15, in Macedonia, 
Then verse 15, Thessalonica once again, now Paul is in prison, and again and again they have sent gifts to Paul, not just one time, not just a one time but they have entered into fellowship in a way that transcends mere dollar amounts, as it were, in a way that is so much deeper than material And here Paul puts the nature of fellowship in the gospel as uh, giving and receiving. Both giving and receiving exists in true fellowship. That's of course true in your relationship with God. You have received, by His grace, salvation, all that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. In your fellowship with Him, you have given unto the Lord by His grace what is His due, which is praise, your thanksgiving, and your love towards Him in obedience and faith, and at the horizontal level among the saints, that mutual dimension exists in true gospel fellowship. Here Paul is on the receiving end. Even as Paul says, I'm not in need, and yet Paul is not ashamed to receive what the Philippians sent him. And the Philippians also are eager to send, even sacrificially, uh, in order to minister to Paul's needs in prison. And here Paul gives thanks to God and rejoices in this display of spiritual fellowship. The grace of God was at work, and Paul rejoices in it, that the grace of God was at work in the Philippian church, and you see the real significance of the gifts that Paul sees down in verse 19, where Paul explains that gift in terms of being a sacrifice unto the Lord. Paul says, verse 19, these are sacrificial, generous gifts, not just a tangible uh, expression of love and care to him personally, but more fundamentally, verse 18 says, they are a fragrant offering and a sacrifice that pleases God, first and foremost. This is a reminder to all of you, saints of the Lord, that your generosity, your support of the laborers in the gospel or servants of Christ, your support for the cause of the kingdom of God, whatever you do to the least of the brothers to serve their needs, you are doing as unto the Lord to serve God, and that service and that sacrifice, the Lord says, is acceptable and pleasing to God. This gives that were sent by the church at Philippi to the Apostle Paul or something that were offered first and foremost unto the Lord as an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice of fragrant offering, Paul says. And Paul is using there a, a sacrificial priestly language. Just as uh, Jesus' laying down of his life is referred to in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 as a fragrant offering acceptable to God, so in Christ, whatever we do to serve the church and the saints in the Lord are like those sacrificial offerings pleasing to the Lord. Those are ways in which we partake in fellowship, fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with one another through our sacrificial giving because we ourselves have received from the Lord the lavishness of His salvation. And the writer to the Hebrews highlights this perspective again in chapter 13, verse 15, when he says, don't neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices, the writer to the Hebrews says, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So here's a great reminder to you believers that 
in your fellowship with Christ and in your fellowship with one another, whatever you do, by way of serving one another, even sacrificial giving, is first and foremost something that pleases the Lord. There's a mutual dimension in your Christian living. There are points at which you give unto others, and there are points at which you receive from others what they give unto you. And all of that are to be done as offerings, pleasing to the Lord. That's a language not just taken up in the New Testament, but really goes back all the way to the days of Noah. Remember what Noah did after the flood receded? He came out of the ark and stepped on dry land. Then he built altar to the Lord. We read in Genesis chapter 8. And he took some of clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And we read that when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, it became uh, like a fragrant offering we see in our verse. And in a similar way, having experienced salvation, having been incorporated into Jesus Christ, the saints, in whatever service they render unto one another, it is a fragrant offering first unto the Lord. And whatever that is happening, that is a sure grace of God at work. The saints are offering themselves as sacrifices unto the Lord, as living sacrifices, because the grace of God in Jesus Christ has poured into their lives. And Paul thanks God and rejoices in God because the Philippian church has entered into that fellowship in this matter of giving. But you also see, uh, not just in the giving act of the Philippian church, the grace of God, but even more so in Paul's own attitude in receiving the gift offered. As he says, again, there's fellowship in giving and receiving, and you see more grace at work uh, for Paul being on the receiving end of it. Paul really expresses this perspective when he says it's not just about the money. It's not seeking the gift, he says, but seeking the fruit that increases to their credit. In other words, Paul is more interested in the blessing that the Philippians would gain in giving these gifts than the relief that he would personally experience by their gifts. Paul is more interested in what is happening among the Philippians than what he is receiving tangibly on his own end. What a display of the grace of God that he is rejoicing and thanking God more for what that gift represents than for the gift itself. That the gift is something that is pleasing to God and that is uh, credit to the, to the account of the Philippians as a fruit. And so Paul sees not only uh, the gift as a fragrant offering unto the Lord, but the fruit that is being born in the lives of God's people by which God is glorified. And Paul is rejoicing in that by the grace of God that he is on the receiving end of such display of fellowship. That God is being pleased, and in that Paul is rejoicing. The saints are bearing fruit, and for that Paul is giving thanks even before he is enjoying the gift itself that he has received. What a demonstration of the power of the grace of God, not only in the lives of the Philippians, but also in the life of Paul. Fruit that is being born and added unto the saints are what truly rejoices the heart of the Apostle Paul when he's in imprisonment. And as we are reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, two years ago, that in this act of giving, in terms of 
fellowship of the church and saints serving one another, the blessings that I experience there are something that will keep on multiplying uh, through giving. Remember the logic Paul gives in that chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as borrowing from the world of farming, it is as though you sow and then you reap the benefits and blessings so that you can have even more to sow, so that you can reap even more, so that you can sow even further. And Paul sees that uh, dynamic at work in the fellowship uh, of giving and receiving uh, between him and the Philippian church. That's the first thing I want you to see. And again, what an encouragement to you that no giving, no act of receiving is ever uh, something that is outside of uh, the realm of serving the Lord. You are first and foremost pleasing God uh, when you partake in that fellowship. Then secondly, in verses 19 and 20, Paul goes on to express really what is his confession of faith, and in a way that is his way of life, in this affirmation and doxology expressed in verses 19 and 20. Notice the affirmation first in verse 19. Having uh, described to the Philippian believers his own thankful hearts for their gifts, Paul goes on to assure them and affirm in front of them that my God, he says in verse 19, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That even as the Philippian believers have sacrificially given of themselves and their things in order to serve Christ and him personally, Paul affirms for them that my God will supply every need of yours according to Christ's riches. And what a gospel affirmation that is. This is what we just sang moments ago in hymn number 246. That as with Abraham on Mount Moriah, when he was about to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, and there was a stay of hand, and the Lord instead provided a ram, and the Lord was called upon on that mountain, called by the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So Paul is really affirming the same truth that Abraham expressed <coughs> 2,000 years before. That the Lord who has provided the most necessary thing for you, namely salvation from sin, and salvation from the wrath to come through our Redeemer, the Lord who sent his own beloved son into the world to be that sacrifice and provision, he will supply every need that you have on earth according to the glorious riches revealed in the person of his son. This is a gospel affirmation that if you think of the God who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not then provide for you in all these lesser things when he has sent for your benefit and blessing his own beloved son? How will he not supply and meet every need of yours when you are his children? He who created heaven and earth, he unto whom all the heavenly riches and resources belong, how will he not take care of you when you are his children? And Paul is affirming that truth in a personal way. Notice how Paul puts it, my God, not just God, but my God whom I have come to know personally. This isn't just uh, confession and affirmation by doctrinal conviction, but this is a, a 
affirmation as much by my own experience as my God, who has been my God all my days, will also supply every need of yours. And here Paul is really pointing the Philippian believers to the basic truth of Christian living. That you have a Heavenly Father who is for you, who seeks your good, who loves you, who will never abandon you or forsake you, and who will indeed supply all that you need to be safely brought to glory, all that you need to live life of godliness, and all that you need to serve Him, to live in a way that uh, pleases Him and glorifies Him. And He will provide all that you need as your Heavenly Father. And Paul's affirmation here is really fatherly. It's saying to the believers, My God, I have personally come to know intimately the Heavenly Father will also do this for you in Jesus Christ. By experience, I can tell you that the Lord, my God, will supply every need of yours. Well, isn't that what happens in the fellowship of the saints? Elderly saints coming alongside of a young believer, encouraging younger saints, and saying to them, I was once young, but now old. I've never seen the righteous being forsaken by the Lord of begging for bread. Whatever need you have, the Lord, my God, who is your God, will also supply abundantly. And all their needs will be supplied because He is your shepherd, and the Lord, who is your shepherd, will make sure that you have no lack. So, this is indeed an affirmation of the gospel. Affirmation we read in Genesis 22 or Psalm 23. Paul, once again, here affirms it, and he says, by the grace of God, he who has given the supreme inexpressible gift of his Son will also continually give unto you whatever you need. But not only is there a dimension of giving there, not only is there an affirmation of the grace of God, but notice what that grace leads to in the very following verse. Verse 20 is a doxology. It's the God who will supply every need is the God who is to be glorified. And Paul now turns around the confession and affirmation to the first person plural to include the whole saints and says, To our God and Father, then be glory forever and ever. If God gives unto you His Son and all the things uh, to carry you in this world, to God and Father be glory forever. He'll give you inner strength through your trials. He'll give you physical provisions where you have needs. He will give uh, everything you need to be led in the way of godliness, to live for God's glory in this world. He will teach you and create in you contentment in any and every circumstance. And therefore, to such a God, our Father, be glory forever. And by grace, Paul has begun to see all things through this lens. Grace from him and glory be unto him. He has done that already throughout the letter. How my imprisonment has turned out for good to magnify Christ, to redound to the glory of God. My needs, my deep pressures, created an opportunity for you to see God's glory displayed and offer uh, gifts that are pleasing to the Lord. And he did all things, whether um, plenty or want, whether in affliction 
and in prosperity I ascribe a glory to God and the Father. And God's grace makes saints like that. It makes you solely Deo Gloria because God has given you and therefore you ascribe glory unto Him. So again, there is that dimension of giving and receiving. God who gives supplies all your need and you are ascribing glory unto the Lord. So there is the second thing where we see the grace of the gospel at work in this confession of faith and the way of living in terms of grace from Him and glory unto the Lord. And for, uh, finally, thirdly and finally, I want you to see uh, the gospel perspective at work in this rather colorless uh, conclusion at first glance, verses 21 through 23. Paul just repeats several expressions of greeting. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, and especially those of Caesar's household. A bunch of greetings, cross currents of greeting, and in this greeting, however, I notice how the gospel is producing unity, and it's all the more striking because even those whom he has addressed before, Eudoia and Syntyche, who are at a loggerhead with each other with disagreement, they are not accepted. All the saints greet you, and all the brothers with me greet you. And not only is gospel and the grace of God producing that sweet brotherly unity, and notice what the gospel is doing at the end of verse 22, we're given this marvelous snapshot of the power of the gospel, that the saving good news of Christ has penetrated the machinery of the Roman government, that apparently those who are in <coughs> Caesar's household and Roman civil service have been brought out of darkness, out of the kingdom of the world, into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. The people from the very thick and very center of idolatry-filled Roman society are being converted. And the grace of God is at work in this great description of Caesar's household being penetrated and infiltrated by the grace of God in the gospel. What a reminder to you that God has been doing that work since the ascension of Jesus Christ. That as God's people live in an environment like ours, 21st century America, as we shine like lights in the midst of this dark and perverse and crooked generation, bearing witness to the Lord Jesus, God, are, God is saving some and bringing them into the household of God. And here we see the perspective that the gospel gives. That no matter how dark things may seem to, to appear, God's gospel is redeeming sinners and bringing them into the Church of Jesus Christ. And notice how Paul ends this letter. It really sums up his burden in the whole section as Paul concludes the letter with a benediction of the grace of the Lord Jesus. He says, Grace of Christ be with your spirit. Now, we, it doesn't show clearly in English translation, but what Paul says there is the plural uh, pronoun there, y'alls, and singular spirit. Grace be y'all spirit. And what Paul is getting at, I think it's more than just an individual application of the benediction of grace 
to each and every one of the saints. That although grace of the Lord Jesus individually is with you, together as the people of God, striving side by side with one spirit and with one mind, you have come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus. And what a way to end the letter then, what he stressed back in chapter 1, verse 27, when he exhorted the people to live as citizens in this world with one mind and one spirit, side by side, striving for the faith of the gospel. And Paul says the grace of God is together, corporately and collectively, with you as the church. And that's the gospel perspective that Paul ends the letter with. Uh, you are brought into a family and household of God where brotherly love and sweet unity exists and grace of God is with you. And as you exist and live as God's people and witness to this dying world, people are being saved by the same grace that has brought you into the kingdom. So that's the uh, end of the letter and what a journey it has been. That's indeed we have been touched by the same grace of God. And when you receive that grace, then you will want to go on praising the God of all grace and serving the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. May God continually uh, rejoice our hearts with his glorious truth and make us all the more effective and zealous and fruitful servants living in the church and in this world together. Let's pray together.